Welcome to Ransom Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Ransom Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity and to protect those who may not want their information given out. All right, welcome to Rants and Revelations as always. We're here, we're epic, and we're not going anywhere. That, is that our catchphrase? We're working on a catchphrase. Let's go for it. Um, I don't and know we'll, if I want to declare us as epic. <laughs> I, I love your bravado, though. I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm spitballing point, here. Points for chutzpah, for sure. Tell you, you what, know. listening audience, you can submit epic intros to us at our yeah. email. Insert email here. That'll be added in later. Yes. We'll, we'll just go with it. We're joined once again with Lance Skifter, all the way from the land of not LA County. Not LA County. Yeah. That's yeah definitely yeah. from the not LA County. <laughs> definitely from the not LA County. Thankfully. Lance, what is your favorite TV show? TV show you can go back and watch over and over again. Of all time, you mean? All time. Number one favorite. Hmm. Breaking uh, Bad. <laughs> <laughs> no? That's why you use all those illustrations in your sermons about Walter White. <laughs> I don't even know who that is, to be honest. <laughs> then you are not in a bad spot, my friend. <laughs> um... I don't know that I have it. I don't have a TV show like that. I have movies. Like do that. a movie. What's your number one? Uh, movie? Remember the Titans? Probably it's a good one. Is, is one that I can go back and watch over again. Yeah. Uh, Facing the Giants is picking up on a theme here. Facing yeah. the Giants uh, makes me cry every time I watch it. You like movies with sweaty men? Is that I the like, theme? I do. <laughs> so, ah, well, moment passed. Yeah. Sorry, my brain farted. <laughs> That's what that whistle was. was. That is yeah. Good. <laughs> We are blessed. Oh, Gladiator. That's what I was going to say. Gladiator. Gladiator. I like Gladiator. That is a good yeah. film. What about you? Favorite movie and or TV show? Um, I actually, our family has a TV show that we keep coming back to all the time. And I was introduced to it by Kathy and Andrew, my wife and son. Um, it's called Psych. And <laughs> it's basically the story of a guy who's sort of a nowhere man, glib sort of narcissistic guy who decides in his life he's tried everything so he's going to become a psychic detective because you don't have to have a license and his dad's a cop and he doesn't want to follow in his dad's footsteps and it's like a buddy comedy his best friend is in all his adventures with him and it's it's just a it's a it's silly it's fun but it has like uh since it's a detective-y there's like this kind of crime element yeah. to it. So it's got a lot, it ticks he, a lot of boxes. And he solves these crimes in ways that are they're just not, outlandish. Yeah, they're outlandish yeah. and unorthodox. That's it's, fun. It's just, it's a ridiculous show that's yeah. pretty funny. So we, we yeah, really like it, funny. but it's, it's an acquired taste. I mean, it's definitely not like the highest production value yeah. thing ever, but we really like it. But it's I, fun. I guess we would go back to Monk. Over and over. Oh, again. that's a, a good great show. Yeah, Monk's we go funny. To Monk I love over. Monk. Yeah. Yeah, what about you, one. Steve? Oh, one of the TV shows I like, and this isn't for all audiences, but I love the show Futurama. Game of Thrones. Game oh, GOT. <laughs> <laughs> good old got GOT. No, I love Futurama. That is a great show. The the the, the storyline, the characters, the subplots. They have one episodes about how cats are an alien species sent to rule the earth, but they fail because they get domesticated. 
<laughs> it's it's comedy gold, and I feel like having watched watched the whole series and they stopped it, started it, stopped it, started it. I feel like it was one of the most satisfying ends to a TV show series I have ever seen. The mm. way that show ended, I just felt like it was perfect. That's one that I can go back to again and again. And I remember the only reason why this movie I would say is my all time favorite is because one time Melissa said I was flipping through the TV channels. It was on TV and in Spanish, and I sat there and watched it in Spanish. But because I knew the movie so well, I got it. Is the movie Matilda? I know it's completely ridiculous, <laughs> but that movie I can watch. Some of it's nostalgia because I would watch it as a kid with my sister or with my family, and it was fun. But it's a movie I can watch and just enjoy, kind of turn off. I like the characters. I like the storyline. I like the the adoption at the end, kind of the happy ending that occurs through it. That's one movie that I can watch over and over again is Matilda, mm. as crazy as that sounds. You talked about satisfying ending to Futurama. Yeah. The most unsatisfying TV show ending had to be Lost. I heard that. I never got into Lost. I never got to the I, end of I it. We, it we, was a train we wreck, though. binged it. Mm. So after it was completely over, it had been not on for like two years, and we wound up borrowing the seven-season set from mm. a friend who had it, and we binged it in about you know three weeks or something oh, wow. like that. And... Uh, I did not understand the last episode. When they started getting to the alien angle during the show, I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> we we sort of got away from it. Make believe. Yeah. 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 So yeah. with that, with last episode, we talked about Sunday, Bloody Sunday and or Black Sunday and the trauma, the chaos, um, and the drama that occurred during such an event and a bit of the repercussions of it. Um, today, we want to dig into the aftermath of once Pastor Tom left the premises, the puppet elders left the premises, a bit of what life was like. So I, I did something good. Just what think about the answer? puppet elders. Uh, I was thinking of, the, Lance got the of adding to that the puppet. Do people, it. the puppet people who were not elders also left, <laughs> yeah. which would be us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the, yes, uh, the, the other, puppet people, the other puppet people that left. I, we were I probably should have left form. that inside. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> all Being the puppet people, we fully accept and embrace your statement. Yes, it is we, a puppet people approved. Yeah. And Peter Piper picked a peck of what? Puppet people. There you go. Bam! Nailed it. A gold star. So. <laughs> The uh, Black Sunday happens. We have two more weeks of quote unquote preaching um, or rebuking <laughs> yes. or whatever you want to call it. Emphasis on quote unquote. Yeah, the, the giant scare quotes, air quotes, whatever you want to call that it. That needs there. to go over. The air quotes need to go over the entire ministry. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is, this quote is, unquote is, preaching is, is in this is air true. quotes. <laughs> so <laughs> this quote unquote pastor, yes. Tom. So. The separation occurs, and Michael and I end up going with PT. Lance, you stay at Church A. So we go to start Church B, mm -hmm. and there's a bit of pain in the separation, but between him officially resigning and the Sunday after, there was a meeting of the minds, the puppet people, the puppet elders, and the puppet pastor. 
gathered together at where else would Peppa people go? But Marie Calendar. Marie Calendars. So we had a gathering at Marie Calendars for some reason. And Lance, you ended up coming, but not to the meeting, but you arrived after. So you, Michael, were struggling with, do I go? Do yep. I stay? And at that point, had you decided to go? It was during the meeting that I decided, well, this must be God's will. Okay. You know? That's right. You had the Lord yeah. impress upon you not well, to go. Yes. I had and, the Lord impress upon me not to go. And then I convinced myself through my fatalism that I should, should go. go. Because you because went of, there. Yeah. You want to explain that a little more? What do you mean by because of your fatalism? What yeah. do you mean by that? So I was struggling with the doctrines of grace at that time, and I was struggling with predestination and election. And at that time, I had to have some kind of stamp of God's foreordination. I felt like I needed some sign from God that it was his foreordained plan that I should do something. So I looked to what was happening as if everything was ordained, because, I mean, God is in charge of everything, but I reasoned that it must be God's driven will that I should go to this church because they invited me to the meeting. Why else would that have happened unless God had ordained it for me to do that? So I took my my ability to choose out of the equation in my mind, and everything to me was very much something that God was doing to me. Or Forcing you to. Yeah, I was being kind of positioned by God to do everything. And there's lots of problems with that theology um, which we know that's an episode in itself. So that was where I got tripped up, really, was in how I was approaching predestination and election. And it was a it was a struggle. And I mean, you and me talked about this a little bit, how we both really wrestled with it. And I don't think it was as big of a a thing for Steve. You know, I developed into fatalism through Tom's preaching. Yeah. Um, and his grasp really promoted a fatalistic view in some ways. In other ways, he tried to promote lawlessness. Yeah. An antinomian or lawlessness. It was a Proto-Gnosticism. Yeah. The strange, weird dichotomy, trichotomy of theology and heresy. So you go... That's what happens when you don't know what you believe. This is true. That's why when you when hear you're the, plagiarizing, when you're just yeah. taking other people's thoughts, when you're yeah. not fleshing these things out on your own when you're not yeah. thinking through the and when you ramifications the, of all of the things that you believe. Yeah. And it's a, it's an arduous process. It's hard. It is. Um, but I feel if you're going to be a responsible pastor, you need to do it. You yes. need to put that word. That's, that's, yeah, the, that's work the work of, of doing it. And that's yeah. a part of being a young man and you read the warnings from Paul or the other epistle writers of being tossed by every wind of doctrine, yeah. being unstable in your thinking, that's a part of it. So we have this meeting of the minds at Marie Callender's, pie in the pouch hole. For the um, puppet people. For the yes. puppet people. I don't remember what was said at that meeting, but it was essentially, all right, we're doing church. We got a venue up here at this hotel ballroom. You're going to help make it happen, Mike, by bringing the tech. I'm going to be grunt work or whatever. We're stepping up and people are volunteering to get things done. And I feel like we went, and correct me if I'm wrong, we went to the hotel that we were going to have our first 
church meeting at, and that's where you talked to Pastor Tom, or was it at the Marie Calendar? It was, it was Marie Calendar's parking lot. Parking lot. Yeah. It was the, at the Marie Calendar's parking lot. Okay, so it wasn't at the hotel across the street. It was. I had been Marie trying Calendar's. to get a hold of you guys. We were all supposed to hang out, or I don't know if we had a like, hey, let's hang out tomorrow, but. It was kind of what we did every day, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was like, it was uh, like everyone's done with work, so what's off, up? I got off work yeah. and I started like, hey guys, what you know, what's going on? And then didn't hear from you, didn't hear from me. And then finally I got a message and I said, hey, we're at Marie Calendars over here on whatever. I, uh, yeah. I don't need to say at this street, location. At this yeah. location. This address redacted. And so I went, <laughs> so I went over there and that's when um, I was blindsided by the what was happening there. I thought I was coming there to meet the two of you. Which you were, just with other people, and nefariously. I thought I was coming there to meet just to the two of you. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were so <laughs> vague in our communication; yeah. it was unclear. Yeah, and I don't. I, again, I don't know, and I don't know if you remember if that was purposeful or not. Yeah, I was just um, thinking that. I don't remember. I think we were in the middle of doing stuff. Yeah, and it was just like and it was like a quick text, and yeah. plus we all had flip phones back then. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't that's like you true. could type a really like detailed message. So it was like man, a at world Marie without calendars. GIFs. What's up with that, right? Man, I didn't live until GIFs came around. So you are blindsided in this parking lot. Church split has happened. Parking lot meeting. What happened to that parking lot meeting? Do you do you dare tell the tale? It's Halloween time, so I've told it. Is you told yeah. it in a in the, I believe our faith for the wounds of a friend. It would mm-hmm. be in the bonus episode. Yeah. Okay. So, so we can we can recount it again. Give it a quick recap. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to know more details, <laughs> listen to this bonus episode, so Faithful or the Wounds of a Friend. Yeah. Well, I, I showed up at that parking lot again unaware of what was taking place. I felt like Tom interpreted my presence there as a I'm on board with you guys. Um, and so I needed, I felt in that moment that I needed to make clear to him that I was not on board with you guys. I knew by that time that I was not (laughs) on board. And you knew you were staying at church A. I knew, and I knew that I was staying at church A. And so I basically told him that I said, I'm not, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I said, I'm not coming along with with you and the guys that are doing that thing, and I'm going to stay at Church A. And his entire countenance changed. Um, there was a sort of a flash in his eyes that was unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and he basically said, like, you don't have to come here, but you can't go there. You can't go there. Mm-hmm. And there was this just coldness. The stare was slightly frightening. I was not afraid of the man physically. Like I was bigger than he was. So I wasn't afraid of him like that. But there was a, there was a terror, honestly, that kind of came over my soul. I felt cold inside, like icy cold in my bones. And, uh, I left there very shook by my conversation with him. I remember your face was not a pleasant one. It was afraid. There was something missing in your countenance, and that's why. I think he got to you before we did, if I remember correctly. Or like we had just talked, and then you went over and talked to him. It wasn't very long, our interaction. Yeah. I I don't remember. I I don't recall, but I, I do remember you coming back from talking with him and being, you looked pale and just 
real shook up, like you said. And yeah. I don't remember if we spoke after that or if you were like, okay, I'm going to go home now. Yeah, I kind of you know? sensed what you guys were like, uh, we're going over this here way. to yeah. this thing. And, uh, and you can come along if you want. Like, okay, come hang out. Good to go. Yeah. yeah. Come yeah. join the cult. Yeah. Join it. And that was, I'm pretty sure that was the last time we spoke for a long time. I think so. After that. It was, except for my email. <clears throat> Which wasn't bonus us speaking. E- bonus episode. Yeah, you want to know about the emails <laughs> and the the real hard aftermath of this stuff? Faithful bonus. are the wounds of a friend. Bonus episode, my people. Yep. So there's a separation. There's chaos. There's trauma. Um, and very clearly, the friendship has been divided. Where we were as thick as thieves before, it thinned. Um, it disappeared. It, it just dissolved. ended. It yeah. thin. It, it, it was an away. abrupt stop. Yeah. yeah. It was cut and... Completely separated. Severed. That's the that's probably the severed. right word for it. It, it was severed. And we went to church that Sunday, and I remember unloading your van. We you and I had picked up sound equipment that week. Mm-hmm. I think at a guitar center you used to work yeah, at. The one over there in like Brea. Fountain Valley or Brea. There's one something. in Brea. Yeah. You got all the tech equipment together. I didn't know anything, so I just stood there and helped you. And we got it all prepped. Your van was loaded sometime during the week. And we went to the church hotel. I remember unloading the van, getting it set up, and your battery died in your van because you left the hazard lights on. That sounds about right. We had to get that jumped. But The, the Bible van. The Bible van, yes. yes. The Bible van. So we have church, and if I recall, that first Sunday seemed um, freeing, mm-hmm. victorious, I guess. Um, because we were done with the chaos, we had moved on. I don't remember what was quote unquote preached, but I'm sure the plagiarized sermon was of standard Tom caliber. Yeah. You led worship too, I believe. I remember, distinctly remember leading worship. And if I recall correctly, that week, I think it was just me and a guitar. I think so. Yeah. That's what I remember. And um, I remember it feeling like a jubilant celebration because we were you know on our own doing our own thing and done with the you know um the drudgery of battling in church a yeah but that didn't last real long that jubilation i remember that that first drudgery it became drudgery not long after that and we were only at that hotel for a month yeah, it was we a few went, Sundays till we got the next place, and then we stayed there. Pretty much permanent with mm-hmm. the odd Sunday that was away. Yeah. So we had more of a euphoric isn't necessarily the right word, but it was elated, a happy experience, I would say. Yeah. Given the context and the attitude of the people and the perception that we were right, and though we weren't at Church A anymore, we had won, I guess. I don't know. I remember it feeling... It felt like that. I remember it feeling, being afraid of how excited I was was and how excited... Level of emotion. Yeah, at least, well, I don't know if how excited it felt like the entire congregation was at that time. That could have been a part of it. And I remember thinking, dude, we have to really be careful to avoid getting overly emotional right now because I feel like we're not thinking straight. Yeah. But I think Tom sort of wanted that. You know, uh, because it was... It veils the truth to a degree. It Yeah, 
it's a form, I think what we were experiencing in hindsight was a form of trauma bonding where we had all been through this really rough experience together. Yeah. And now there's sort of this, uh, what would be called an intermittent reinforcement happening where now Tom starts love bombing the congregation because now we're his congregation. So, you know, I remember this, I don't remember the sermon, but I remember the overall tone and tenor being one of like jubilation. And I remember thinking, this feels wrong. Yeah. I remember thinking something about this isn't right. And I couldn't put my finger on it at the time because it felt something about it felt fake. I don't remember that, but. But that was what was going on in in my soul. And I don't know if you remember this, but it wasn't long after that, that there was a time you and me were, we were in my car somewhere. I think we had just gone to dinner or something with some people and we were talking about like how, and this was how roller coastery it was at the time for us emotionally. We were talking about like missing Lance mm-hmm. and everyone at the other church and you actually started crying. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, man, my friends, I miss my friends so much. And I was like, yeah, me too. And I don't remember if I was like, hey, we're doing God's will or something I like that. I think that's what it was. We were like, well, we got to do what the Lord says. And by the Lord, we mean Pastor Tom. Yes. That was the general feel. And that was what, what we tried to maintain for a while. What was first Sunday back like at Church A? Um, I think there was some similarities, to be honest. There was a, there was a spirit of like jubilation. I think maybe our side of the coin was a little more relief, just kind of like, oh, that's fair. Um, uh, just in a sense that there's like a burden now off our shoulders and maybe it's time to move, you know, now is the time to move forward kind of a thing. Um, there was a particular conversation I had, uh, with a, uh, just a dear sweet lady in our church. Um, and she was way more excited than she normally would (laughs) express. I mean, there was a bounce in her step. There was a, you know, just an extra wideness to her smile kind of thing. And she came bouncing up to me and she's like, isn't this great? Isn't it a great day? And I remember I looked at her and I said, no, it sucks. And she was like taken aback. (laughs) And I go, my, my friends are gone. Like this is, this sucks. It's awful. And that, but at the same time, having this, like, I'm glad what we just went through is behind us, but my friends are not here and it, and it sucks. I remember feeling exactly that way. Like, and, um, the young man who was the associate pastor under pastor Tom began uh, preaching regularly, starting that right away, starting that first Sunday. And I'll never forget you guys mentioned you can't remember what Tom's sermon was the first Sunday. I'll never forget. Um, the first Sunday was Isaiah 40 comfort. Oh, comfort my people. Mm -hmm. And it was just a balm that came over our souls. It, it just washed us. It put a salve on our wounds and just Mm -hmm. was kind of like, 
oh, it was just what we needed and it was done in love and it was done. There was such a stark contrast in those two men and their preaching styles that well, it was One was actually palpable. a pastor. It was palpable, the difference in those, mm. in those two men. That, uh, in a way that I didn't pick up on because the associate pastor was our college group leader and yeah. taught us mm-hmm. Uh, you know, taught the word to us each midweek college group, you know, Thursday night or whatever time it was we were gathering. And I didn't notice the contrast in style so much until that Sunday morning where he, he just came out with Isaiah 40 and Comfort My People. And he just did about three or four weeks on that mm. and just was really healing. It was super healing time for us. And um, just kind of had a this, again, felt a relief of like, okay, that's behind us. That hurt. Um, what do we do moving forward? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So for Church A, it was rebuilding. It was rebuilding. And, and it, we're jumping all over the timeline here yeah. as far as like how long in between these things mm-hmm. were. But there did come a point in time where um, I actually remember saying to the leadership there, like, hey, when are we gonna move forward? Like, we've been we've been celebrating this this victory, if you will, or this whatever for six months now. When are we gonna make the changes that we need that we need to make to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Like, let's stop resting on our laurels and and like let's move forward. And and God had put me in a unique position at that time to be able to say those types of things to the men who were in leadership and mm-hmm. to have them take that to heart. And, uh, and it was said in a, you know, I, I just genuinely cared for those people. I cared for that church still do okay. and, um, yep. want to see only good things for that church. Eh? And so that is when then they began to kind of move forward in what was going to, mm. they kind of cast a vision for what that, that looked like as far as, Revising the document to the, the constitution and things like that. So, yeah. So, one thing that you see the fruit of Church A is a restoration, a rebuilding, and a desire to honor the Lord. Meanwhile, and I would at say, Church I would B, say, uh, kind of a, and maybe that's under rebuilding, but kind of a refocusing of yeah. like, hey, we lost our way. A recast mm-hmm. of vision. And let's recalibrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort of get back. Let's set. Let's course correct. Yeah, and set course for the future. For the future. Yeah. Meanwhile, at Church B, so we have this general thrust of excitement and joy. The quote-unquote word is being preached slash plagiarized because it actually was. And I look back on that time, realizing that we did learn theology and doctrine from Pastor Tom but because he was plagiarizing theology and doctrine from good teachers. And so there was some growth that the Spirit used because his word was being proclaimed, though it was through a plagiarized platform, which in one fashion shows that the Lord's words are true, that regardless of the vessel, uh, the word the word proclaimed is the word proclaimed, mm-hmm. and it will be used. I remember fairly quickly within within six months... I don't know the exact time frame, but there were a few prominent attendees who ended up leaving pretty quick. Mm-hmm. One of them was a puppet elder advisory board member who came and then left, who was good friends with another ed- elder at this church. 
And another was just a layman who was there. He got chewed out by Pastor Tom. I remember my dad saying one time he saw Pastor Tom really lay into this guy over something. Mm -hmm. And the next week they were gone. Uh, he's the same one who built the pulpit. Yeah. And so I don't know what the the context was there, what was said. My dad doesn't remember either, but he remembers thinking, oh, that was bad. And it ended the way my dad thought it would. So we had people leaving who were prominent fairly quick. I remember Pastor Tom, uh, when that elder left, he did a whole Sunday on why he shouldn't have been a elder in the first place. I don't and, remember that. but I mean, when whenever someone prominent left, there was definitely like, you know, at minimum it got mentioned from the pulpit and there was like a shunning that started happening where, you know, anyone who left was considered dangerous, considered, you know... And well, I feel like be, I'm sure it didn't help that that elder that left came back to Church I was A. Just going to yeah. say that they went back to Church A, and I think that congregant that got chewed out went back to Church A too. I think I don't know for they sure. They may have. So when these people leave, and not everybody went back to Church A, but I'd say a few did for various reasons. The stance of the pulpit was uh, they're really wrong, and you need to stay away from them, creating a us versus them mentality. Very much so. What is the problem biblically and just psychologically with the us versus them mentality? And both of you men chime in on that. Yeah. Um, psychologically speaking, it's a black and white type of thinking where you're reducing people to these categories of either being perfectly righteous or wholly ungodly. So you're either a chosen... Jew or an uncircumcised Philistine. Pretty much. And there's no in between. I mean, that's kind of the attitude that yeah. was held. And that's just not the way most things work. Yes, there's there's instances where maybe something like that's the case, but to reduce an entire group of people down to this basically being totally evil and ungodly and... No nuance. Yeah, there's no nuance. There's there There's no room for grace at all. There's no grace in it. It's just these people are all straight from the pit of hell, and if you associate with them, you know, you're just as bad as them, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the ground opens up under the church and swallows it whole. Like, I remember that being he said. He literally said that. So yeah. from a psychological perspective, um, it's, it's a type of reductionist black and white thinking that isn't, it isn't realistic. Yeah. It's just not the way things work. And then from a biblical perspective... As a pastor, Lance, what would be some ways to pastor somebody through that thinking? What are some biblical? What's a biblical perspective there? Um, I think that there's a lot to be said, and I I beat this drum all the time. So it's, um, but the the idea of unity um, is not unanimity, right? Unity is not. Unanimity. Unity doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. Unity means that despite our differences, we choose to be kind to one another. We choose to believe the best about one another. We choose to, you know, do those those sorts of things. And so, um, I this is a bit of an aside, but I actually look at the number of denominations and the number of churches in any given city in America as a sign of unity because it, instead of letting the issues that made us start another congregation fester and, and kill a church, they decided to go down the street and started a new one. 
Does that make sense? So if you have disagreements over worship style, whether instruments should be used or not, uh, I say that because I come, my, my, the church that I pastor now was birthed out of a, uh, a denomination that didn't believe in instruments. And part of the reason that we started was we were like, that's not a bad thing. Instruments are not, you know, and so, um, except for the keytar. So. I hold a strong line at the keytar. That's just me, though. Amen. Preach. Yeah, I hope my keytar player doesn't hear this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. your staff keytar uh, player. Um, Paleo baptism versus you know, yeah. uh, believers baptism or whatever the case may be. You get these these different branches of of churches that all believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus on the cross, and that he is the only way to be saved. And there's disagreement on some of this periphery stuff that's non-essential. And so we choose to to go in our disagreement on the non-essentials to go and worship with like-minded people somewhere else. I view that as unity, actually. Some people view that as disunity, I view that as unity. I love you enough to not stay here and create problems. Let's just go somewhere else and and start a new thing. Hmm. Yeah. And and uh, when you create an us versus them, it's we're right and they're wrong. Yeah. And there is no unity. It's a personal kingdom building. It's not a biblical kingdom building. It's not a which was what Church B was. It was a personal kingdom. Yeah, it was a power grab. It was a platform, personal platform. It was a all of that became all of that from the testimonies that I've heard. I was not there, obviously, but um, it became that. Yeah, the testimonies. I think it started as that too. Yeah, and in contrast to what you've just said about unity, I distinctly remember Pastor Tom saying, "How can two men walk together unless they be agreed?" How can we possibly have unity with people who have different doctrine? And what he pushed for unity and within the body was that you had to agree with him, basically, on every single point of doctrine. And if you differed Mm -hmm. on doctrine, you couldn't have fellowship with that person. So that applied also to interpersonal relationships outside of the congregation as well. So if you differed, like when I went to college, you know, he warned me, oh, watch out, a lot of these people don't believe the same things, and you're going to get corrupted and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, really? So you would not be allowed to be friends with a non-believer in the hopes of converting that person to Christianity? Oh, no way. Well, I would posit that Pastor Tom would allow that only because it would bring in more tithers. Yeah, it depends on how much money the person yeah. made. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, lots of things were let would let slide based on the amount of giving that. Oh yeah, place, right. Oh yeah, that was a thing. There's always a demand for more money, for more income, all that fun, fun stuff. This don't talk rule also inherently leads to a um, us versus them mentality, and that's a very cult mentality in a lot of ways especially the eschatological cults, the ones who believe that we have the end times truth and Jesus is coming and everybody else is stupid, so we got to hide and sometimes castrate yourself, depending on the cult. So this us versus them mentality leads to a don't talk rule. Very culty, um, very 
much, it, it just reeks of false teacher. Will you recap the don't talk rule? Just so, real fast. We've discussed it before, but will you recap it? Just? Essentially, those who disagree with you, don't talk to them. But you were not allowed to talk to me. But ultimately, it goes back to you. Don't talk, don't, <laughs> don't talk to those who stayed at Church A or went back to Church A, because that is where the Constitution, which is hellbound, exists and resides, and they rejected us and the truth. So that led, as we mentioned earlier, to a complete severing of the relationship. Go for and it. And to kind of jump off what you're saying, too, this was actually phase two of the don't talk rule. So the first phase started at Church A, which was congregants may not disagree with leadership. You may not talk, you're not free to talk amongst yourselves about what you think about what's happening with the leadership. If you do, it's automatically labeled slander, slander against the pastor who is an angelic majesty, and therefore you are committing one of the greatest sins against God you could ever commit. And, and infallible behind the pulpit. Right. So that was the foundation of the don't talk rule as it began. So it, it started off with the caste system in leadership versus congregant. Then the second phase of the don't talk rule happened after the split, which was now you can't talk to people from church A yeah. because of everything that happened. They rejected the angelic majesty. Yeah, they, they had rejected the angelic... Yeah, exactly. They they rejected Pastor Tom and all his glory. And <laughs> When the angelic majesty left church A, his sweeping tail took a third of the people with it. Yeah. Ooh, and it's true. Ezekiel reference? Is that what that was? That was yeah, a nice, Ezekiel. nice. So this led to... Not that you guys are demons, by the way. Yeah, clarify. We are puppet yeah, no. people, though. <laughs> yeah, we are puppet people. Not demonic puppet people. No. Just puppet people is a difference. But we could reason that all puppets are inherently demonic. I mean, have you looked at them? I mean... I don't get me enough. started on animatronic robot bands. <laughs> have you been to Chuck E. Cheese? Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Straight devil. The, so the don't talk rule leads to a severed relationship. And do you remember, Lance, I ran into you and another m member of Church A at Star a Starbucks in Lakewood once. Do you remember that? And we actually sat down with you and talked for a while. I do remember that now. Yeah, I had not remembered that before. And I, I think you were preparing for a message on Revelation or a uh -huh. study. Yeah. I don't know why I remember those details. So I re I bring that up because I remember I sat down and talked with you and I left convicted because I missed our friendship and I, the spirit was convicting me that that the wrong needed to be righted. Looking back, I know that's what it was. But I remember I mentioned it to Pastor Tom and I said I feel really convicted and he's like, "Oh, that's cuz you're hanging around with people you shouldn't have been. You weren't abiding by the don't talk rule and the spirit's convicting you about that." Did he say that don't talk rule? Did no, but I don't remember the exact words that were okay. said, but that was basically what it was. Those were that was not the verbiage at all. I know that's the that was the sort sentiment. of the clinical term for it. I just wanted to. I was just curious if he actually. I don't recall him ever using that no, term. No, he never referred to anything as a don't talk rule. Yeah. It was implicit, really. Yeah, and yeah. so he told me that what I felt wasn't missing my friends, wasn't a conviction of the Holy Spirit to restore relationships with brothers. It was disobedience or associating with those who were not in the fold yeah. or whatever. But yeah, that was a weird blip. And I don't mm -hmm. know if you had already left or if you were still at Church B. Timeline's fuzzy there, but you know. Yeah, I it remember was a thing. during that whole period, um, you know, between the 
split and year, whatever, one and a half or two, even after I sent that terrible email to Lance, I remember being so conflicted about trying to keep distance from everyone at Church A, and especially with Lance. I at first felt like, oh, you know, I really believe what I said in, in my email, but it wasn't, it didn't take a long time for me to start questioning it and just feel, I just never felt settled about it. And, and I longed to have reconciliation with my family yeah. and with my friends at Your, your the literal old family, because you yeah. lived with family that still went to church A. So part of the fruit of the don't talk rule in my family was, it was so uncomfortable because I'm living with my grandparents who stayed at church A. Tom is, you know dominating my life at this point, because not only did I go to that church, I became a disciple of his, and I was really close to him. I mean, I used to work out with him, like, several times a week, lift weights. Um, I did a bunch of stuff for the church. I did the bulletin. I led worship. I did tech. um, I helped with the prayer ministry. So I was over there several times a week for that on top of working out, and... I was really pretty close to him, Um, and there was a sense in which the only thing that would make me feel better about the fact that I was, like, being a complete tool to everyone was that I had his approval. Yeah. And he would meet that out in small doses. Um, But I worked really hard to earn his approval. And in That's what hindsight, it was all about. Yeah, in hindsight, I just think, what, what overcame me that I felt I needed to earn this guy's approval, you know? But um, what did, you know, in, in looking back on the uh, sort of instructions or whatever that he gave you concerning me mm-hmm. and our friendship and anyone who went to church... A, how did he uh, justify you living with your grandparents? I think his his thought was, you know, you're there. It's expensive to live in California. If you're going to try to rent a place on your own, you're going to be destitute. So you're better off, you know, staying where you're at. Um, you're just going to have to be really careful about how you interact with them. And Wasn't it basically just live there but don't talk to them? Stay kind away of, as much as possible. Yeah, it was like, keep your distance, you know. Yeah, basically, like, I mean, we still talked, but it was very strained. I remember practicing for worship, that's what you want to call it, Yeah, at your grandparents' house with another member of Church B who uh, would could talk the legs off a wooden stool. Yes. I don't know. I heard that phrase before, he could talk the legs off a wooden stool. I don't know what it means. But this guy could do it. I guarantee you that he still could, I think. And I always remember there being a tension in the air. Because your grandparents, though not perfect people, knew enough and had enough wisdom to see the deceit that had occurred, but also wanting to invite us in in some capacity yeah, to do this. Yeah, they were very gracious people, um, especially my grandfather. I, I, I loved your grandfather. Yeah. He's, He's, He's the best Such guy. a good dude. Oh, my gosh. They don't make them like I, him. I am very often. sad. I loved your grandma too. I loved her feistiness. Yeah. I just she was a she was a feisty woman, and yeah. I I and she reminded me of my 
grandma. grandma. Oh, okay. Too, so yeah. it's just I loved I loved both of them. Very much. One thing I'm genuinely sad about is that when you and I had our friendship had ended because you went back, mm-hmm. and therefore I couldn't talk to you. Yep. I am sad that I wasn't able to be there for your grandfather's funeral mm. or when he had passed or to come alongside you because that was a special relationship for you. Oh, yeah. And I had so much respect for him, but I had to abide by the law written that I couldn't come around and, and be with yeah. the family of Christ. Yeah, and that, that funeral was at Church A. And that's it. It's, it's a... I, I'm just sad about that. I really am. Yeah. It's destructive. What, on your end, Lance, because we had this quote-unquote doctrine or rule or whatever you want to call it for being righteous and holy in this newfound land called Church B, what was your perspective? We had, and though the three of us were thick as thieves, we were good friends with a lot of people at Church A still. So what was your perception and the perception of others about Mike and I during that time? Oh, and, uh, you know, several other folks that... That went to church. Yeah, as not just well, us, but close the, relationships. The group. Um, there was a just overarching sense of sadness about some of the friendships that had been lost during that time, and a sort of spiritual shepherding that took place to just pray, just pray for reconciliation, and if you run into them in the community, be prepared to be kind and. You know that sort of a yeah that sort of a thing. Um, I know that the the people that I lived with even ran into Tom. Oh wow! In in the community grocery store or something. Uh, Awkward. Came, you know, turned down this side, and Tom turned down this side <laughs> of the aisle, and they wound up walking towards one another. And so, um, j- just that idea of like you guys were were not cast as the enemy you were not cast as wrong uh that was pretty much focused on tom (laughs) and you guys were sort of cast as deceived yeah which is appropriate yeah that's pretty accurate i don't know the right word for this but like in a pitiable situation like we should we should feel sorry for you but not in like a demeaning sort of way, but we should actually feel genuine grief for what you guys are enduring Mm. over there. Like we, that was sort of the, I feel like the vibe that was kind of, kind of given off. And even, um, when I received your email, um, I wrote a response and, uh, took it to the associate pastor and to the guy that I was living with. And I said, here's the email I got from Mike. Here's what I want to respond. And they said, take it back and pray about it some more. And so I took it back and I prayed about it and I wrote a new response and I showed it to those same two guys and they said, take it back and pray about it some more. And that went on, uh, I think a total of four times I rewrote Mm. my email. And finally they said, what we're trying to tell you is not to send it. And just pray, Hmm. just pray for him and pray for Steve. And they knew those were the, you guys were the two people that were most on my heart. There were other folks there that I, that I liked, but I wasn't, I wasn't mourning the loss of friendship, the same of those folks, the same way I was between the two of you guys. And so 
it was mainly just, uh, man, they're, they're deceived and just pray. Just pray that their eyes would be open. Pray that they would be able to escape without too much collateral damage. Pray that they, you know, just mm. just that that was sort of the the encouragement. And there would be other folks at Church A who felt the way that I felt about you guys, about different folks at Church B that were given the same mm. sort of instruction yeah. of just, just pray, just pray. Can we just talk about what a contrast that is to what we were I was were thinking taught? that too. So on our end, it was, you guys the devil, don't talk to them. Otherwise, you might become the devil. You're, you, you experienced love them, pray for them, seek interaction, and seek a redemption in the sense of coming out of the deception. Yeah, and I, I only know this, what I'm about to say, I only know because I lived with the chairman of the board. Um, there was immediate discussions on how are we going to receive people back yeah. as mm. a church. Because they saw the writing on the wall that people were going to see what Church A's leadership saw Mm -hmm. and that they would leave Church B and wanted to be ready to receive Mm. those folks back. That that was never talked about from the pulpit or anything like that. I only know that because I was living with the chairman of the board and it was in the board meetings that they were, Mm. in the elders meetings that they were talking about. That kind of a thing. And so the elder at Church B that you mentioned, the first one to to leave, mm-hmm. came back to Church A and actually was called in and had a discussion with the elders and had a, a long conversation mm-hmm. as to, you know, just kind of, we got to get a feel for what changed your mind, how did you, you know, like where are you at yeah. now, that kind of a thing. And, and really it hit the reset button because this this guy was previously in leadership at church a yeah right well you don't i I remember part of the conversation being like you don't get to just come back into leadership there's a there's sort of a reset in where you have to prove yourself to be faithful again yeah you know and i think that's fair well we forgive you and we love you uh, we need to see seasons of rebuilding trust, faithfulness, and rebuilding, producing fruit. Yeah, man, it's it's hitting me as you're talking, Lance, just how bad it was at Church B, because what a difference that is in attitude. Um, like I'm I'm getting like choked up over here, just realizing like how like how evil what we were being taught was, mm-hmm. and like. How this, how we could be just put in this position where we're supposed to just demonize everyone who we love and who is that and you guys are over there praying for us that we would wake up and get out of it and we're sitting here going oh these you these know losers demon people, don't see the you know? light and that that's why in earlier episodes um I pushed back a little bit on there was a comment made about the spiritual immaturity of Church A. And right. That's, that's why I pushed back on that a little bit because it's some of those same people who had been there all of that time were the ones now praying for. Yeah. You know. So in yeah. the aftermath of and in, in the turmoil and the aftermath of the split, you really saw sort of that that maturity that. Yeah. I I mean, even though I stayed, I questioned some of that, right? Um, but then you you kind of saw that and. 
while I was not part of Church B and not, I was privy to the, I was on the receiving end of what was <laughs> what yeah. was happening over there in the form of the email and different things like that. Uh, there was so I I felt the the palpable difference mm. between the two, even though I wasn't attending Church B. Right, I was attending Church A, but I could I could sense what was going on at Church B because of the email that I received oh, and yeah. because of some of that, and so there I felt the palpable difference, and it was just all along the way confirmation that and rejoicing that the Lord had opened my eyes to make the right choice, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. It's. Uh... I mean, I always knew it was bad, you know, mm-hmm. where we were at, the place we were at, and what we were being told. But um, I never knew the response that Church A had, and I'm just floored, man. Like, wow, yeah, what a difference! And and like the 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 thing that's really hurtful, you know, I'm sure for on your end is like seeing people who you know and you love turning into these other people mm-hmm. just right before your eyes, just like morphing into these like yeah. totally different people and seeing how it's all happening because of the influence of this one person, yeah. you know? And, and, and to be honest, like there was a, I was pretty clear from our perspective. Like I said, we, we viewed you guys as deceived, not as... Yeah. Not as anything but that, right? Yeah. And so we knew you cut the head off the snake. <laughs> you know, the, right. the healing will take place yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in the rest of them. So we knew that that wasn't really who you guys were. Right. And that's probably what grieved us the most was was that. And like, they know better. We know they know better, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, and just pleading with the Lord too. Open your eyes and, yeah. and see that. So two questions that arise from this is one, why does the Lord allow this to happen to Christians? Because I would posit that, as we've said before, the Lord knows Pastor Tom's heart. Though we don't see the fruit, and though we see the mass deception, the Lord knows where he stands before him. Well, first question is, why would the Lord allow believers to be deceived like that? And two... What is ways that we can prepare ourselves from being deceived like that or help prepare others? Because we've seen that the response should be, as you said, love, prayer, devotion to them in whatever ways you can. But for you two guys, why does the Lord allow it? And what's a way to prepare yourself and others or help disciple others in preparation for when those trials may come? Um. As far as why the Lord allows it, there's probably uh, a thousand and one reasons that we don't even have any clue about. Um, But I will answer your question with a question, two questions. You can't do that. That's not fair. (laughs) I know Jesus did it, but you can't. (laughs) I'm not behind a pulpit, so I'm not infallible right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you closer to the Lord today than you were? Oh yeah. Before going through all that. And, Hands down. And did that experience play a part in your closeness yeah. to the Lord? Uh, 100%. Mike, same. Oh yeah. The same thing. yeah. I would not, I would not yeah. be where I'm at today and I would, without that experience. And I would offer to you guys that 
Church A is a much healthier church than it had been in its history because of that experience. Hmm. And I would offer to you guys that I'm a better pastor today than I would have been without that experience. Hmm. And so I think, you know, just in looking around this room and in the people that we know who went through that, I think much good came out of it. The the scripture is chock full of trials and testings being to prove the genuineness of your faith and to, to, you know, to mature us in Christ. Yeah. And, uh, I think that that's certainly, certainly the case. I had to, I went through a season where I had to learn about Jesus without the two of you and to bounce those things off of. And like, you know, cause while our times of hanging out were full of foolishness, they were also full of scripture yeah. Oh, and it was talking about the Lord and it was mutual discipleship in many ways. Absolutely. Many, yeah. many ways. Yeah. And so um I had to learn through that to be okay. If it was just me and Jesus <laughs> the, the, through the rest of my life, that that was, hmm. you know, that that was going to be okay. And, and I was going through other things at that time as well, as far as like my, in my previous life, before I became a believer, I had a, I had a marriage that, you know, didn't work and, and, uh, but we never legally divorced. And so I became a believer without being legally divorced mm-hmm. from my, from my first wife. And so, uh, she started contacting me during that time and I was afraid she was going to want to reconcile and things like that. And so, <laughs> and then, um, she didn't want to reconcile. <laughs> she wanted to make it legal. And then, um, there was a young woman at church a that I really liked. Um, but the fact that I wasn't divorced legally yet prevented me from dating her mm. and being with her. And so there's all of this, like I keep clinging to these, I keep trying to grab these earthly relationships in this. There's a season of time about a year and a half or two years of my life there where the Lord is like, you've got to learn that I'm sufficient. Right. And so all these graspings for these human connections that I was, that I was making were coming up, coming up short. And I finally, guys, there was, there was uh, a month or six weeks of my life where I got up and went to work and that was it. I came home and turned off the lights and crawled in bed. Oh, wow. And that was it. I, and then I would get up and go to work and I would come home and I would turn off the lights and I'd crawl in bed. Mm-hmm. And there was about a month or six weeks of that. And it was ter- inner turmoil, um, depression, uncertainty, um, that sort of a thing that went on. And I finally, at the end of that, sort of came... And I went to church. Mm-hmm. I would go to church on Sundays <laughs> and I would go to work. And I came out of that with... Lord, if you want me single for the rest of my life, I'll be single for the rest of my life with joy. Hmm. And Lord, if you want me, you know, (laughs) this, then I'll do this with joy. It's you and me and we can, you know, I can do whatever it is that you call me to do as long as you're empowering me to Mm -hmm. do it. And the next week I met Aaron. Wow. (laughs) 
Um, and so for, for me that, that was, it was a whole season. It wasn't just this time. It was a whole season, um, that was catalyzed by Tom and the church split Mm -hmm. and you guys and all of that of, um, learning that the Lord needs to be sufficient. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what it did in my life and why the Lord allowed me to go through that. I think maybe that's more the accurate, more the question we should be asking instead of why does the Lord allow this to happen is why did the Lord put you through it? Yeah. Hmm. What was there for you to learn and to grow from in that moment? And it yeah. sounds like to mature. To, it was absolutely that mature. could be the blanket answer yeah. to mature in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. I know for me, um, I had a lot of similar personality characteristics to Pastor Tom in some ways. I don't, I don't think I was ever as jerkish as he was completely. I mean, I had my moments. I have an email that could say otherwise. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely had moments like that. For I would sure. offer, though, knowing you, I would, to borrow the language of this conversation, that was a puppet email as well. So I understand. Yeah, yeah, it was a puppet people yeah. email. Um, but I know for me, I already sort of viewed pastoral leadership with a similar eye, I guess. And I had a similar sort of idea about what pastoral leadership should be, and since I hadn't seen a lot of it after being saved and just seeing Pastor Tom, um, I agreed with it, obviously, enough to go to that church, uh, and I thought I should be in pastoral leadership to some capacity so that when I went to college, that was sort of my goal, and what I started learning was I was really seeing a terrible example of what pastoral leadership was. In fact, it was probably the best example of how not to be a pastor I could have ever had. Yeah. And as I started, that started becoming more and more clear to me, I started realizing if I go into ministry now, I'm going to have a terrible moral failure or something, and it's going to be a disaster. And I realized, I don't think I want to go into ministry for the right reasons. And so it made me decide to change courses. And I think if I hadn't gone through that, I might have ended up in a similar position that Pastor Tom did. Um, I don't know to the same extent, but I think if I would have gotten into pastoral leadership and not being called to it or done it for all the wrong reasons, it just would have been a big disaster one way or the other. For me, a personal disaster and probably terrible for anyone who was unfortunate enough to be under my leadership. As you guys at the Church B experienced when I was the college leader, college group leader for a short time, and it was very, I just crushed everyone with a law all the time, like I was just so legalistic. Um, But I can see how God used that experience to break me of a lot of those bad habits and bad uh, ideas about what it meant to be a good Christian and to be a a good leader, because I I think I would have just really made a mess of things. Yeah. If, if it hadn't have been for that. And in hindsight, I'm really grateful that I went through all that because I see how God's hand was on it, but it was still one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Oh, yeah. It was no bueno. Yeah. For me, it taught me through the negative example 
what it means to be a husband who loves your wife. Because my wife and I met at Church B. She didn't attend Church A. She ended up coming with her family because of Pastor Tom's background and the seminary he quote-unquote graduated from and connections to that institution. Her family came, um, her mom and dad, and though she was an adult, uh, she ended up coming independently, leaving the church she was attending previously. And so we met there and ended up getting married while attending that church. And the example set from Pastor Tom was a very domineering, abusive style of being a husband and a parent. Though I wouldn't say he, I saw any signs of physical abuse on his wife. There was definitely emotional abuse, verbal abuse that was very visible. We all have a story, but I remember, and we've talked a little bit about it in Faithful Are the Wounds of a Friend, hashtag bonus episode. I remember him, his wife had just had a baby within the last two to three months and we were standing in his kitchen and he pinched her side where it was a little thicker because she had just had a baby and commented on her being fat, which in all honesty, after having a baby, she really wasn't that fat and she left crying. I also remember after we had our first son, my wife and I went over to his house. You guys have heard this story before. And I sat our son down and I fed him his food. He was able to sit in a high chair. I fed him because I wanted to give my wife a break. I don't even remember why we were over there, discipleship or whatever. Marital counseling. <laughs> Something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And that night ended. And the next day when I was alone with Pastor Tom or whenever it was, he rebuked me for feeding my child. That that was a woman's job, basically. And I just remember thinking, oh, okay, well, I just won't do that again. I uh, didn't respond because you couldn't argue with Pastor Tom. And I just knew never to do that again. So there was this abusive way of being a husband that I adopted. Mm. And so the first few years of our marriage was very unhealthy. One, we didn't have a healthy church to be in. Two, we were immature. And three, I was abusive on my end. And my wife would admit that she wasn't mature enough to properly respect or submit in a biblical way because we weren't taught that. We were shown this ridiculous example of what being a married couple is, a caricature in some ways. So from that, on this side of things, I know better, though I don't do it perfectly, how to be gentle and kind in the marriage uh, by the negative example. It has grown me greatly. And as the example I gave you earlier about the young man at church who made a comment about wearing the pants in the house, it, that, you know, 15 years ago, I would have high-fived him and yelled at his wife alongside him. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, that guy needs some discipling and they need marriage counseling or they'll need it soon because it's not going to end well. So discernment's gone up. The other thing it did was it made me treasure the church more because after church be ended, and you probably experienced this too, Mike, I was jaded in my faith. Oh, very much so. That's going to be an epi- a half an a bonus, like 15-minute short episode. But I was jaded in my faith, and I knew I wanted to go to church because the heart, the spirit was working within me. But I had no desire to learn, no desire to be involved. I just kind of went to go. But as the Lord, through faithful men who have discipled me, who the preaching of the word faithfully, and the spirit's work in my life, I now treasure the church. And no church is perfect. We all posit that and know that. And the same is true for my church. 
but I have a deep-rooted love for the church and for the protection of the church from nonsense like that, like I wouldn't have had otherwise. Now I'm more willing to throw down in a loving way to keep the wolves at bay than I would have been before, and I'm more sensitive to the nonsense, which you have to be discerning with because we all have nonsense in some capacity, but being able to have those spider sense, spidey sense tinglers going was a fruit of it. It has definitely made me a better husband, man, and Christian in my walk. So what are ways? We see that there is fruit from the trial and the trauma. The Lord does not allow anything to happen without our good or his glory, as Romans 8 tells us. All things happen when he says all things, all things. What do we do then to prepare the younger in the faith, the more immature in the faith, for when these potential trials may come? And what can we do to disciple people through it when the chaos is ensuing? One or two nuggets. It's hard to answer that question because we, having gone through it, people tried to disciple us in the moment and we wouldn't receive it. This is true. So it's it's hard to to answer that question because it's almost impossible to know how somebody's going to react. But I think the you know, to reiterate that the evil, and I will call it evil, the evil that is taking place is not evil in the hearts of the deceived, but it's evil in the heart of the deceiver. Uh, for those of us observing it happen to those that we love and care for, um, we need to just remain there with open arms. Will There will be a time where their eyes, the deceived will no longer be deceived and their eyes will be opened. And in those moments, they're going to seek, they're going to either seek out people from their past or they're going to go to a different, they're going to feel too embarrassed and go to a different place. And my hope would be that they have sensed enough love and grace from the people who had tried to walk them through it that they would go back to those folks. Yeah. I just think like, Mike, you went back to Church A mm-hmm. after you left. And many of the folks that left Church B came back to Church A. Um, not all of them stayed long, and that's that's fine. Um, but many of them came back. Some of them are still there yeah. to this day, 15 years later or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think that that is because they knew that church A was a place of love and grace. If you left church B, you would not ever return to church B because you would be afraid of how you would be received. And you'd yeah. be shunned. And you'd be shunned. But unless you came back groveling mm-hmm. with a wad of money. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so I think that we want to be people who... I don't think that we want to be people. We need to want to be people <laughs> who other folks know that it's safe to come back. I remember this is a not a perfect parallel illustration, but my my mom's mom, a just poor Hispanic family living in Norwalk, and my uncles 
and one of a couple of my aunts. Very rebellious. I'm um, drug abuse. One of my aunts was a drug dealer. It was just chaotic. The lives that some of them lived. The Lord redeemed my mom in her early twenties and spared her from a lot of the excessive chaos, though that there was sin that occurred in her youth, but she was preserved from the extent that some of her other siblings went through. And I reflected on it. They would always go on binges or things would always go crazy for them, whether it was divorce or drug abuse. It didn't matter what it was. And though grandma was still a fiery Hispanic lady, they would always go back to mom's house because they knew they'd be loved there and cared for and accepted. And some of that was just the love of a mother but my grandfather was that way too. There was a, a safe place to be uh, from the chaos that sin had produced. And in some ways, that's an illustration of how the church should be, that when rebellion may happen from members of the church or deceit um, or just those who have gone astray, it's like the prodigal son, the open arms of the father are there. And we as the church are to example and to reflect that. And you're right, Lance, the fact that Church A has welcomed Michael and I back so graciously and lovingly is a testimony to that. Or Pastor Tom, I don't even know where he's at, and the only time he ever contacted me after Church B ended was for time or money. And I haven't heard from him in years. And he's basically erased his entire online presence somehow. Yeah, there's a YouTube page that has some snarky stuff on it but he has like 80 views and half of them are his mom probably <laughs> yeah. like that but the original point is that's a great place to come to a close is the idea of what ortland had talked about in gentle and lowly it's not the only attribute of christ it maybe isn't even the highest attribute of christ but it's an important attribute of christ that the church needs to example more and more is an heart and attitude of being gentle and lowly amen yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just a, a story, uh, a couple things that I want to clarify on, on our behalf. Yeah. Um, we, the three of us remain, I believe, I think, if I'm correct, uh, remain complementarian in our yes. understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood and mm -hmm. what the Bible says. So we're not... Correct. We're not condemning... Uh, complementarianism. The three of us remain reformed in our soteriology and our es yeah. in our theology. eschatology or theology mm -hmm. remains reformed. Uh, we still believe in it and love the doctrines of grace. Uh, we recognize that they're the doctrines of grace. <laughs> yes, and they were not used properly. Both complementarianism and the doctrines of grace were not used properly by Pastor Tom, but the misuse of those doctrines by a failing person yeah. does not negate the doctrines themselves. And so we yeah. affirm those things. And we've affirmed Master's College, Master's Seminary, and Grace Community Church in the past. I wanted to tell a quick story about um, a conversation that I got to have with John MacArthur. Yeah. So uh, context of time, when did this occur? Uh, probably 2000, probably a year. I think it was about a year after the split. After the split had happened, mm. and because I'm pretty sure it was a January, and it was a 
anyway, we were, uh, I was at a conference that he was speaking at. It was actually a resolved conference, which is their church college group put mm-hmm. on this conference. Um, but it was at the Pasadena Convention Center. It wasn't at Grace Community. It was at an actual mm. convention center. And um, <laughs> Dr. MacArthur got up and he opened his sermon <laughs> by telling this story about how he was guest speaking somewhere. And the the young man introducing him to the congregation said, Dr. MacArthur is much kinder in person than he is in his writings. <laughs> And that smacked John, John's testimony is that that like smacked him in the face and the, and he kind of had no idea that that was the perception of him hmm. out there until that young man introduced him that way. And he went on to talk about like not judging people without getting to know them first basically is what he was hmm. kind of his, his point. And he was using biblical uh, text to rightly, he was right in what he was in what yeah. he was saying. He was not abusing the text at all, and he wasn't. It wasn't about his position. It wasn't about anything like that. Mm. It was just about him as a human. That we owe each other the respect of getting to know one another with instead of judging one another, mm-hmm. right? And um, after the split, there was a certain sourness in the mouth of the people of Church A about. Masters and John MacArthur and mm. all of that, uh, just because Tom sort of like lifted that brand of thinking up as him representing that. And he used right. his connection with John to legitimize himself. He used his connection with John to legitimize himself. And so there was, and, and during it all, uh, during the, the turmoil, Church A reached out to masters and said can you can you help us talk some sense to this guy basically <laughs> mm. and they basically responded with we have a policy not to get involved we believe in the local church and her uh, authority to handle those yeah. situations their autonomy the autonomy yeah. of the local church and the authority within the local church to handle those situations and so we make it our policy not to get involved well that rubs some folks the wrong way all of this kind of stuff. And so as John is giving this, telling this story at the beginning of his message, I'm like, that's me. Like, I thought that of him, hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I went up to him after the after he spoke and he was down in the front and I waited in this long line. There was people uh, bringing books to him to sign, you know? Hmm. And... Uh, and so I waited in this long line, and when I walked up, he reached out his hand like to grab a book, to to sign it. And I said, "I don't, I don't have a book. I just need to tell you that the guy you described in the beginning of your sermon was me. I thought that about you, and here's why." And I said, uh, "You know, I mentioned Pastor Tom's name, and mm-hmm. he just grabbed me and hugged me." Oh wow! And he said. I am very aware of your situation and I am so sorry that you had to go through that. Wow. And that was a, like a whoa moment, you know, because it was a super healing moment for me in regards to how I felt about John MacArthur. Um, because I, I think naturally you tend to associate the, the student with the teacher, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that was, it was just a really, it was a really good 
it was a really good event because I needed that to be able to move on in listening to John preach and different things like that. Things that I had so valued before, I wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. That when Tom took us through what he took us through and treated us the way he treated us, I thought that that was also the way John must pastor. Yeah. And it's not, you know? And so I just wanted to share that. Yeah. I even read a, uh, Write up on the Master Seminary uh, website about pastoral authority, and they don't view pastoral authority like Pastor Tom did. That's not what they teach. So, and I think it's natural if you've been through something like this to do a bit of deconstructing, and I think it's healthy. But um, we need to do that with the Bible as our guide, not with just our own thoughts or just psychology, which I've actually benefited quite a bit from some principles within psychology that I would have rejected before because I would have thought of it as unbiblical and therefore automatically evil or something. I had a view of psychology that was very low. But um, keeping you know the scriptures and the Holy Spirit guiding us as we deconstruct, I think is really important. And to actually look at, well, what does the Bible really teach? And you know, where where do we really land on that? Because even um, when we went back to, uh, I went back to Church A for a while, and they were talking about uh, getting elders, and they were ready to kind of chuck the whole idea because of how it had been misused by Pastor Tom. Um, and I happened to be in that meeting, and I happened to just have a moment to speak and just said, I get it. Like, this guy really misused the scriptures, and I don't blame you for being skeptical, having been through it myself and been close to him. But, you know, just because somebody misused the scriptures doesn't mean that they're wrong. And, and like, you've got these great guys here. If you can't trust these guys that you've got with you now, I mean, who can you trust? You know, and thankfully, like, that was helpful, I think, for the church at the time. And it was that plus a bunch of other people who were involved and, and they ended up changing their church government, but that was a moment where the baby could have gotten thrown out with the bathwater very easily, you know. Um, and very understandably in oh, some sense. 100%, yeah. you know, but it's uh, in deconstructing, man, it, keep, keeping the Bible central to that is important. Otherwise, you deconstruct your faith instead of deconstructing your beliefs. Yes. And that's different. You know, you our beliefs are should be based on scripture and our faith is in Jesus. We remodel. We yeah. don't deconstruct. We yeah. remodel. We remodel. Well, like that's that. a good way to put it. Yeah. I like that. So are you guys happy we don't follow the don't talk rule anymore? I'm having questions, but you know, I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy we don't follow that stupid rule. So yeah. am I. I'm very happy. Lance is on the fence. Lance is th- still thinking about it. He'll get back to us next he episode. He probably just wishes we would talk less. <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. That's fair. Well, That's completely fair. I am very pleased about that and and overjoyed. I get. I can't tell strangers, people who don't know you guys, I can't tell them our story without getting choked up. Yeah. Because it's just, maybe it's not as uncommon as you think as we think um, because God is in the business of reconciliation and, and restoration. But 
I know far too many stories of people who don't talk to yeah. folks for far less than things we've been through together, mm. you know. Um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember Steve when you were uh, working with me a little bit at at, at our at my church. Yeah. And you were needing to move on. Mm-hmm. And you said something like, I just don't want this to affect our friendship. Do you remember that? I and do. I, and I remember what I said to you. You're like, hey, we've been through way worse. I said, if we can survive Tom, we can certainly survive this. We can survive this. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. That was a breath of fresh air for me. I'm like, yeah, he's right. You I make a done, good point. I should have done this weeks ago. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, I don't have any, there's no trepidation. There's no yeah. like nervousness. There's no anxiety coming to hang out with you guys. Like, it's just, that's all behind us mm-hmm. where, you know, again, check out Faithful Are the Wounds of a Friend bonus episode mm-hmm. where we talk in depth about um, how much better our friendship is now than it was mm-hmm. before. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, I'm. I'm very grateful. Yeah. That makes probably three of us. Eh, yeah, I'm sitting on the fence on that one. No, <laughs> it makes all three of us, I can say with passion. Yeah. Well, with that, this has been Rants and Revelations. I'm Lance. I'm Steve. I'm still Mike. As always, Mike. And we'll see you next time. Don't forget to submit your nonsense. 